You're listening to the Farmyard Podcast. This podcast is supported by Farmyard and Farmyard's Mighty Network. Episode 63. How can soil and water be conserved? In this episode, I'm going to speak to someone who is going to tell us how to do just that. Well, hello everyone. Linda Borgie here from Farmyard. And you, my friends, are just one seed away. Well, boy, I'm kind of like in the middle now. I'm not up north and I'm not down south and I'm looking out the window. And the colors of fall are so vibrant. I have to tell you, did you ever pick up a leaf, uh, you know, after it's fallen and just look at that landscape? It's like it's a different universe, right? So interesting nature and all of her wonders. And today, I really want to talk about soil and water conservation. Now, I lived in a household when I was, I swear to God, knee-high to a grasshopper. My godfather, my Uncle Mike, God rest his soul, he taught us how to fold a peak pizza box into a six inch square and god forbid you put anything in the wrong garbage pail now i'm 63 so that was a long time ago but he was onto it he was the head of the bergen county new jersey health department and he knew how to spell compost so we if we fast forward to today right I don't even think we know how to pronounce compost. I don't think we have any type of a relationship with the earth beneath our feet or the water coming out of our faucet. So we damn well better have people in those positions that are very well informed. And that's who I have on the line today. I have Evan Folds, who is running for supervisor as a write-in candidate for soil, for the soil and water conservancy. And I want to bring him right on so he can fill us in on his plans. Evan, I know you're there. Hello, Ella. How are you? Good, honey. So glad to hear what you're doing. I mean, I know that you started late in the game, but I want you to tell us exactly how it all came up to you that you were going to do this to begin with. Yeah, well, it actually wasn't the first time that someone had asked me to take a look at it. And it's the technical office is the supervisor for the Soil and Water Conservation District. It's it's strange English and it's a mouthful, but that's technically what the position is. And the previous time that I'd been asked to take a look, the timing wasn't right. And this time, uh, a friend of mine who was going to run decided he was going to uh, move out of town. I think he was going for a job and couldn't make the commitment and asked me to attend the board meeting. Uh, it's a couple of weeks ago now. I did and understood that there was uh, currently one person on the ballot that occurs. The election is November 6th. Early voting is already underway for a couple of weeks now. And so I was, there was one person running for two positions, two elected supervisors. And this has actually happened in the past. And the board was able to kind of you know, endorse someone that showed up to interested in the position. This time, two people showed up for the run-in, uh, write-in opportunity. So they were able to endorse me. So it's it's really, ca- it's a good thing. It's really caused me to kind of spread the word a little bit more than maybe I would have if, if it was just kind of a, a cookie cutter kind of situation. So that being said, 
you know, it's safe to say that I wasn't completely aware of the, the scope and mandate of the Soil and Water uh, Conservation District before I started to lean in. And the more that I do, the more excited I am about really being able to bring some energy and some new ideas to the position and, and really make a difference. And how long has the current supervisor been in office? It's a four-year term. So you basically commit to four years. It's a monthly board meeting. There's three appointed supervisors. There's two elected supervisors and there's a director that is a, a kind of a paid position and they operate uh, as, as sort of a, a board of directors. Are they all paid positions, Evan? No, they're not. They're this, uh, I know the elected supervisor positions are not. I'm not sure about the appointed. But what's really interesting about this is that I know other than one board meeting, which was fairly brief in terms of the three hours that they allotted. I don't really know a whole lot about the position. You know, I've, I've done the research on their website. Uh, I've seen them around. I saw them at Paws in the Park, you know, uh, identifying animal waste as a, as a big uh, issue for water quality. So I've seen them, you know, at schools. So I know a little bit about what they do, but I'm really kind of, uh, that's that's really not my central concern. What I'm really interested to do is just kind of come in as if I don't know, <laughs> you know. And the, the reality of this is that if you look at the website, the mandate uh, you know, the mission statement essentially is is to protect and enhance water and soil quality, which to me is a playground. You know, we've got more issues with our soil and water than you could ever imagine where we live and in most places, frankly. And what this opportunity speaks to me as is, is a way in which to you know, garner resources to educate the public and children and then at the same time connect, you know, farmers and hopefully homeowners with grants that can help us enhance the quality of the soil and the water in our area. So, you know, how that can manifest is, is really the sky's the limit. I'm sure there's limitations. I know there's a budget limitation currently, and I'm, I understand that that's, I live in New Hanover County. It's very small geographically. Basically, it's Wilmington, North Carolina. So it's very densely populated. So there's very little farms. The property value is beyond, you know, what would make sense to farm on generally. So I think the lack of budget has to do with the lack of farm infrastructure in our county. So I'm very interested to kind of, you know, why, why could we not designate residential landscapes as a farm, like with Farmyard? Imagine that, you know, we could go in and actually connect people with grants to develop their residential landscapes in a farming capacity that improves the soil and water quality. So, you know, if, if there are ideas like that that I, that I want to bring to the table and, and push them as far as they can go. Well, why don't we tell our listeners exactly what type of a background you come from? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's, it's funny. I've kind of been training for this uh, kind of position for a long time. I've, I've uh, had a 16-plus six, year career of working in agriculture in many different capacities. I had a retail garden center for 15 years in Wilmington, North Carolina called Progressive Gardens. I had a wholesale company for about a decade called Progressive Farms. I closed the retail store about two years ago and sold the wholesale company at the end of last year. And in that time period, had uh, you know, ran a 13-acre market vegetable farm uh, out in Castle Hayne in New Hanover County. Had a, a food lawn project that we developed uh, that looked at the economics and value of space um, in terms of front yard farming. Commercial wheatgrass business, organic lawn care company. So I really approached water and soil quality from many different directions all the consistent piece being you know this is a, a conservation position uh, i really take a, a, a kind of a different view of that term it's one thing to conserve what we have but what we need is, is to play catch up so i really look at conservation as regeneration and i think that's you know one of the things that i, I want to make clear you know if i'm fortunate enough to be elected 
uh, from the get-go is it's not really good enough to save what we have. You know, we really need to make what we have better. So, you know, that's a driving passion in my life. And, you know, I, I didn't go looking for this position, but feel that I'm, I'm more than qualified to, to bring some expertise and some, like I said, new ideas and energy to the position. Let's also tell the listeners some of the problems that your area are having insofar as I know, number one, the water. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's a long list. You know, water quality in New Hanover County, we were on the, in Rolling Stone a couple months ago. The, the, the headline was, you know, why is China treating North Carolina like a third world country? And the point of that was that the industrial agriculture that, that occurs in primarily in southeastern North Carolina, there's more pigs than people in North Carolina. And, and most of it is positioned in, in the southeastern North Carolina region uh, in the Cape Fear River Basin. So basically it all collects and comes to us in Wilmington at the end. And people are really getting fed up with that. Smithfield, who is the owned by a Chinese company, which is where the headline from Rolling Stone came from, they currently are experiencing the first cracks kind of in the dam of the last generation of industrial agriculture and that they haven't had, they haven't been forced to, to change their ways. And they're basically just collecting the hog waste and animal waste in general is handled in this way, but hogs are an easy one to talk about in these lagoons and they're open to the air. And the first lawsuit that they lost actually was a nuisance lawsuit. I think they've lost three lawsuits to this point, somewhere around $500 million. So they're starting to pay attention to the fact that the, the public is fed up. And there are very real and direct ways that these, these liabilities can be managed at the source with using uh, select micro packages uh, to do what's called bioremediation and also the use of activated carbon, uh, but very specific activated carbon called biochar that's up to 90% carbon. It can sequester the majority of, of the beneficial elements and the contaminants from this waste stream in very simple ways, cost-effective ways. So, you know, the times that's one of the issues that we're we're dealing with. We also deal with the coal ash problem, which made headline news from Duke Energy, leads right into the river basin flows, and and then we have a, a an issue called uh, Gen X. It's kind of the headline. It's a polyfluorocarbon uh, compound that uh, essentially is the byproduct of uh, Kim Wars, which is a spinoff of DuPont. Long story short, it's the Teflon companies that make this the nonstick cookware. It's also used in other applications, but the chemical byproduct of that chemical process is, is leaching into the river from about 50 miles up the Cape Fear River. And it made headlines uh, last year uh, because it's, they've lost lawsuits for a previous chemical that um, they've identified. They went to this new chemical and now they're we're, we're finding it in the environment. We're doing you know, hopefully we're playing catch up in regards to the type of research that we need to understand what it's doing to us, which kind of brings us to the whole point of you know, how we get to a place where we're introducing these controversial materials into the environment before we actually know what they are and how they operate in a living system. So that, that's encapsulated in what's called the precautionary principle, which is a very popular way of approaching this, this type of situation in Europe. And it's something that we really need to get hip with uh, over here. So safe to say we're getting it from many different angles. And, you know, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, it sounds like it. And if anyone really wants to dive deep into water, please listen to our previous episode, episode number 62, The Story of Water. That is an article that was written by Evan, published in Medium, and I did the voiceover. I, I seem to learn through my ears, so that's why I talk 
articles out and I don't want to waste my breath. I figure there's a lot of people out there that are, that are the same as me. So I figure it would be helpful. So, so Evan, so the area that you live in is highly residential. What's up with the soil? I mean, is there a lot of Roundup being sprayed in the parks and the school grounds? And Yeah, that's pretty much the case everywhere. Um, another situation similar to as I described with the lawsuit situation, you know, Monsanto just lost a lawsuit um, and the judge upheld the, the, uh, the lawsuit to that's now moving to appeals. Um, so there's a lot of this happening where the public is kind of standing up saying, look, there's some dots that we're connecting and the research really hasn't been done, even though a lot of people believe that it has. So Roundup is, is you know, that, that would be one of the things that I would, I would be interested in understanding, you know, the purview of the Soil and Water Conservation District over, you know, how we're applying chemicals to school ball fields, to public parks, and all of that, you know, in, in my view, when you're talking about soil and water quality, leads right into the mandate uh, that we've been discussing. So, you know, as far as the soil quality, it's very poor, it's basically a beach, very low organic matter, say one, 2%. You need at least 4% to rely on the soil to be able to grow what it's, what's in it, vegetation-wise. So that gives you some kind of a framework. But, you know, connecting that reality of the porosity of our soil, the way they measure contaminants in the municipalities, the flow through in the estuaries, they measure the amount of water that comes through, and they estimate a percentage of that being contamination. And it's not, the goal is not necessarily to reduce the contamination measurably, even though that's one of the goals that they undertake. It's to actually reduce the flow of water. So if you could look at a residential, you know, basically what you have now is contractors being asked to build homes in neighborhoods that have, you know, no wherewithal in regards to increasing or even contemplating the, the organic matter percentage or soil quality for that matter. So, you know, imagine you could go into a green builder situation and encourage points towards the, the ability of the soil to sequester more water in the landscape and you increased the organic matter to 4% at a minimum, for example. So, you know, there's things like this that we could talk about and think about and then, you know, try to put into action because, you know, the bottom line of, of any residential community landscape is that it's poor soil. You know, you're basically starting from scratch because when you develop a piece of property, you either bring in cheap fill that's been sanitized most of the time, microbially speaking, or you've removed the top foot or two of soil to level the land, which is where all the life is, and microbes don't jump over the fence. You know, they don't kind of parachute in to, to make it run. You have to kind of you know, bring that, that wherewithal with us in, in that respect. So you know, all that being said, on balance, and I would say everywhere from the residential landscape all the way to how they're currently managing industrial agricultural waste, the assumption is that the microbes that are required to do the work of remediating those situations, the assumption is that they're already there. And the reality is that, that they're not. So that's a point of disconnect versus the reality that I'd, I'd love to try to tie that up. Well, I can tell you that from my own personal experience, when I landed in Beaufort, South Carolina, and the, the property was nothing but fire ant drilling holes and sand. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. They call it the low country because I believe at one point in time it was all just underwater. But it was through Evan's consultation that within eight months, there was earthworms, and on 600 square feet, I had 500 zinnia, zinnias planted, thriving. It looked like a flower shop. You know, it was very interesting, Evan, driving around the neighborhoods down there. Everybody has plants in pots. Yeah. 
And, and I said, what's up with this? Plants in pots, plants in pots. But then I realized because they didn't have the, any soil, really, and they didn't have the knowledge of growing soil, so they had to keep plants in pots. Well, you know, Evan, why don't you tell the listeners where they can reach you? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, my website is beagriculture.com, beagriculture.com. And that's, you can use the contact page or, or get in touch with me directly there. I'll a campaign uh, on page on Facebook, which is kind of acting as a website uh, for the campaign uh, limited in, in that, you know, I'm kind of linked to the game in terms of the, uh, you know, the dedicated website, but you can find a lot of information there and at beagriculture.com. Well, my dear, I'm so happy that you took the time to well, do this. Thank you for having me on the show. I want to blast this out because, you know, I am not a political kind of gal. But boy, if I lived there, if I lived down by you, I would be going door to door. Well, you know, one of the things about this that's been so cool is it's connected me to a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time through my progressive gardens time and all that. And I literally have people showing up at my door. I made these little business cards to hand out that kind of talk about how to write in a candidate on a ballot. And, um, so, you know, they come by and are handing them out door to door at polling stations. It's been really amazing to see people respond to some of the things I've been putting out there. So, you know, I'll, I'll certainly do everything that I can to, to protect and enhance the soil and water in Wilmington. And even people out there that may know somebody in the area, you know, I'd appreciate you spreading the word. Uh, it means a lot and uh, I can use your help. So thanks again, Linda, for letting me spread the word. You're welcome, honey. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Well, I've hoped you enjoyed this episode of the Farmyard Podcast. If you did, share it with others. Subscribe, download, and leave us a comment on iTunes. That ups us in the rating. And also, go over to seed.farmyard.com and check out our mighty network.